So how do you manage fertility for the short term without mining the soil and still getting a return? Because you know what? It's a cool idea to say, I'm not going to put any fertilizer out there. Screw them. Well, then if you end up doing that, you might screw yourself because you won't get a crop. Welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. More than just a podcast, it's the place for insights you can apply immediately to your farm operation for increased success. This episode of Cutting the Curve is brought to you by Ag Explore. With innovative products that improve fertilizer efficiency, protect yield, and reduce stress, Ag Explore helps maximize field potential. Find out how Ag Explore can help you get more out of your crop at agexplore.com. And now, here's your host, Damian Mason. Well, greetings and welcome to another fantastic episode of Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. It's not just a podcast, it's video, it's information, it's insights, it's entertainment, and most importantly, it's applicable tools you can apply to your farming operation for immediate return. And we're talking about something that is going to be a big subject going into 2023. We're talking about managing fertility for the short term. Right now, you have a very competitive land environment for both sale and for cash rent. How long are you going to actually farm the ground that you farm right now? Now, we're not saying you should go out there and mine it. That's an old, old, nasty term to even talk about in agriculture. And then there's the other, the other reality of development. Chad Henderson farms right on the edge of development in Huntsville, Alabama, Metroplex. Uh, and in fact, first time I was ever there at his farm, I saw all sorts of development signs. Uh, Kevin Matthews in North Carolina. Everybody and their sister that's up north says, you know what y'all do? Retire and move to North Carolina. Well, where do you think they're moving to? They're moving to where uh, Kevin is. And that means that he may not have that field for the next 10 years like he wants it. He may only have it for the next year or two. And then we got Matt Swanson. Matt Swanson is in Western Illinois. He's an extreme ag affiliate. He has the same issue as we just talked about there in the open. Um, maybe this competitive land environment means that you're not going to be farming the farm that your family's had in cash rent uh, cash rented for the last 20 years. Maybe you're only going to have it for the next two. I'm going to start off with Chad. You've got a lot to say on this subject. It was one of the first things I did when I came to your farm in Madison, Alabama, Chad. I said, there's a development sign right over there, and they're wanting like the, some amazing number that you could never pay and make it a wheat field. And then there's a housing development right there. And I said, how do you do this? So we didn't talk about the fertility. We talked then about you know farming in the path of progress. But what do you do now on the fertility front? Well, you know, it, it's a lot of stuff that's down here. You know, I ain't going to say that every acre we farm is for sale, but at some number, it's always got to be for sale. And, you know, you think, well, I don't know why they're selling the land. Well, you know, you had never seen people sell land for 60 and 80 and $100,000 an acre, you know, and, and that's some of what's going on for these small acreages down here. And and it makes it tough. And, you know, I'll never, you know, I've, I've got it in contracts. You know, I will not as a farmer hold you up on that because I hope that we've got a good enough relationship that we're going to buy farmland somewhere else. You know, that's what streaks us out sometimes with having to move a hundred miles or 150 miles, you know, to farm again, because it's not always right here. Um, and that's a different subject for another day. As yeah, long by as the way, we should talk about another day, but you, you have, had, you have had landlords that sold for 60 grand and said, crap, now I got to roll this money. And they went a yeah. hundred miles down the road and said, but Chad, I'd like you to still be the operator. Yep. Yep. So that's, it's just like now, you know, I've got two of them now. It's always like, Hey, just start, just keep looking, be looking because people are always talking about buying, just be looking because I'm going to go where you go. If you want to go, we'll go, you know? So, I mean, it makes you feel good inside. At least they're with you, you know? And, and so, but that brings us to what we're talking about today, you know, and, and we have these discussions with the landlords, you know, like when every year it's like, well, what are you thinking? 
you know, they, and they're good to keep us posted on what's going on, you know, because that's the worst thing we'll do. We don't want to go out there and lime this thing. Well, you know, lime's kind of a three-year deal for us down here. We don't go out there and lime it when you know what's going on, you know, maybe in concrete, you know, the next year, housing subdivision. Farm, we just lost a farm over here. We, well, we, it's a good example. We thought we was going to lose a farm. Economy turn. You see the interest rates. We watch every bit of that. And guess what happened? We still got the pivot sitting there, planted another crop on it. So then, you know, last year, we didn't put a bunch of dry fertility out. We're going to run it on what we got, stay in touch with pH. And now look what's happening. I got another crop and then planted another crop. Out. So then you're like, oh, heck, now I didn't got behind. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, so that, that, that's the thing is that the short-term mindset um, that, well, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen to this farm ground, so I'm not going to put a nickel into it. And I have seen this happen. This happens, by the way, in family operations. That's the other one I guess we should talk about. The the the, the, the son that's been farming it that thinks as soon as mom and dad die, uh, my sisters are going to sell the place. So then they, next, you know, they limp along for 11 years, never putting anything into it. Well, you can't pretend that that doesn't end up coming out at the at the yield um kevin we're talking about development and we got a lot on this subject now let's talk about you same thing you gave the example of a farm where you have your field day i was there and you thought that that was going to be uh developed give us that story yeah it actually we farmed around the grade stakes they already had the all the survey stakes out for the roads and the lots and everything to go through it um the nice entrance was put in the dot specs uh, to the farm, and yeah, it was tough. I mean, you, you couldn't, as like Chad said, you couldn't put, you know, you, didn't, you was careful about how much lime because, you know, when they go out there and survey it, it's pretty obvious when they stakes you're working around that your time's extremely limited. And we was actually, the last two years before we bought the farm, we was actually knowing multiple times during the season we was having to give them a value of what the crop was right then they wanted it right then they was going to bush hog bulldoze and get started and uh man that's hard to manage like that and then fortunately that was when the housing crisis hit and you know they lost their buyers kind of like what interest rates are doing right now it slowed things down rapidly they got scared and then the next thing i know the landowner had done bought a track of land because he thought he had that one sold and then and you know he was getting in a bind and he come to me and he offered it and it was kind of a funny story we bought it uh a couple years before that or we bought it that year and um shook hands on it and i got up the road and the guy called me and he backed out he said man i, I can't sell it that cheap there's more acres there and i realized i said man we've shook it's a done deal man don't ain't no backing out on this and he backed out. Well, then um, about a year and a half later, he called me and he had got himself in a little bit of a jam. He had put a bid out on a track of land that he knew he wouldn't get. Well, he got the bid. And um, so he called me and I bought it a thousand dollars acre less than what I had it bought for a year and a half before. So it come out. I like it. I like <laughs> it. So talk about the fertility. We'll come back to that because I want to hear about what you do in fertility. But real quick, Matt, your situation is a little different. It's not because of bulldozers rolling to turn it into a housing development or extend the Madison, I'm sorry, the Huntsville Airport. Yours is more just kind of like more like we're around me. It's competitive environment for farm ground, even for rent. In fact, they're doing in some places in the Midwest, they do rent auctions. Yeah, and actually, we've won some rent auctions before, and we've lost some rent auctions, and some of those this year have gone up to you know five hundred and fifty-eight dollars an acre. So, when you're in a situation like that, 
Um, you know, you have to be careful about managing your margins and we use kind of a standard formula about how we figure that rental rate, but you can't, you don't have the ability, you know, even if you take something like lime, like Chad's talking about, which is, you know, probably for us, one of the more reactive fertility things that we do. Um, Cause it can take just for example, you know, like nine pounds of DAP to move our soil phosphorus levels one, you know, one point. So um the typical, you know, dry spread and, and type situation just doesn't work in that environment. Now, if you own ground, that's a different, different thing, or you have a long-term contract, but, you know, increasingly as landlords pass away, as older landlords pass away and their heirs take over, you know, they've either turned to management companies or land rent auctions and, and you have to adapt your management style to that. All right. Let's go back to adapting your style. Um, Chad, you gave the example you thought it wasn't going to be yours. And next thing you know, you're still farming it. Then it was next year. You had at least three or four more crops off of it than, than what you'd have thought. So you'd have been cutting your own throat if you didn't put some fertility to it. What did you do and how do you make sure that you're, I get it. We don't want to, we don't want to make it the greatest farm ground ever just to have houses on top of it. But you also in the short term, you've got to get four more crops out of it. What do you do? Well, so this is, this is when, when it comes into being, part of a peer group, you know, and I'm, I'm going to give extreme ag a plug here, you know, because we're part of extreme ag, but you know, any peer group or any local peer group of guys, you know, that can get together for farmers, you know, and, and that's tough. You know, these other guys from all different parts of the area will tell you that farmers getting together and talk about what they do in the same area that don't happen. That's just no. not going to happen. You know, we're not going to talk about my rent basis and all with other farmers, uh -uh. but you know, and, that, and that's a lot of things that happen with, with farmers. But what we do is, um, is we've learned how to feed the plant, you know, like Matt was talking about, you know, uh, on the part of having, you know, can, can put lime out or having dap where it takes, takes so many pounds to move at one point, we need to move at 20 points, you know? So, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's what we do. We've learned how to put K out and how to put phosphorus out, how to use phosphorus solubilizers. You know, we use uh, everything is banded, you know, there ain't much dry fertilizer spread. You know, um, but it, but what, what we have learned is to get in that budget. Let's say your corn fertility budget was going to be a smooth hundred bucks of dry fertilizer pre-plant. Okay. Just for instance, just say it was a hundred. Well, that, that we need to keep that base down to somewhere around 40 to 50. We're going to cut that in half is what my theory is. We cut that in half and we just shank that off and then we use the rest of it in liquid. That way we're not mining, if you will, as much, you know, we're still putting that put that out there putting that out there putting that out there but we're not putting that full load out we're going to use that other 50 bucks and stuff that's right now right here right now material you mean know, like more, that, this 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 kind of chad means more in furrow more next to the plant and then this bodes the question all the above more all the above you know it's 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 I, i'm on budget this much for k this much for n this much for p you know every bit of it hey kevin and I know I want to hear more about the farm that you did. Maybe we'll we'll use that later on. I still want to hear about the farm that you bought. By the way, I think everybody's applauding. He had a deal, shook hands like men do, and he gets down the road and the guy backs out. Son of a bitch. You know what? Four years <laughs> later, he buys it for a thousand dollars less than they shook hands on. I think that's a nice little redemption story. That's a nice, <laughs> hey, um, 
we talked about how extreme ag, you know, we're doing a whole bunch of really cool stuff. And we got our companies like agro liquid and nature's as our partners and we're using stuff and, and putting it right there where the plant needs it. And then you talked about the capstan ag system uh, with their sure shot uh, system on the back of your planter, where it's really so precise, putting the fertility and the biologicals and the inputs right where it needs to be. Doesn't this whole conversation sort of talk about, and point out to how much more valuable uh, a system like Capstan Ag and all these products we're talking about, Nature's AgriLiquid, you know, uh, Pro Farm, all that. Instead of just flinging stuff out over that field, you're only going to have this maybe for another year or two. Let's make sure that we take care of the plant, period. Doesn't that kind of go together with this whole precision? It, it does. And it's the actually select shot is the is the product that Capstan makes for the planters. Wait a minute, what did I call it? Uh sure shot, I believe. Okay, so selection. Yeah. I like yeah. sure shot better. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't help it. That ain't that ain't our decision there. But um but no, you know, Chad's I guess before we started Extreme Ag, that's something that we found and we was all in a peer group together and then we decided to share with other growers with Extreme Ag. But the key issue is we're we're farming the plants now instead of the acres. We are focused on the needs and nutritional needs of that plant. And the goal is to figure out the most effective way to get those nutrients from the soil into the plant. And for us and Chad and I mostly, we're limited on what our soil has to start with compared to what Matt would have or other areas of the United States. So we got to really learn how to open up that most limited factor and abandon that crop. You know, we went away from broadcast fertilized, you know, several years ago, except for our small grain, we pretty much have to use it on it to a point. But on our row crops, our corn and our soybeans, we absolutely are abandoned. We, we're abandoning both sides of the row. We're focused on that root zone and we're focused on that plant. So we're going to start out with a really good liquid program up front with that planter or, you know, Chad's using the strip freshener and putting some out there. We're wanting to go that route as well. Then, then we take, and we've learned so much with extreme ag, we was already doing this, but we've, we've been able to fine tune and hone in on those foliar products that work and the ones that are snake oil. And there, there's, there's some snake oils out there. And I would say most all of them in the right situation will work. But what you want is the one that works in the majority of the situations you have environmentally. And so knowing those products, those K-acetates, those, those foliars, you know, the orthophosphates, the high-grade fertilizers, knowing when to get them the you know the finish line products from nature's the just the the calcium products agri-liquids got that just i mean it really stands out the micro 500 and we're not you know this podcast ain't trying to advertise for no companies this is what we do and how we manage it without spending a boatload of money on the soil that we know is going to get a boatload of calcium in the form of concrete coming <laughs> next and uh, so you know, you, you got to survive. You got to make money in this business. But it's it's all about, you know, zone, you know, maintaining that zone and building that plant fertility. 
and never letting that plant have a bad day. That's the key right there. We can never let that plant have a bad day. And we got to stay ahead. You know, our good practices that we do with our, you know, our, our years of tissue data that we have within the group, we want to stay ahead of that curve. You can't wait to it needs it and put it out. You need to do, especially with these foliars, you got to be on time or ahead. You can't be at time or late. There is a difference. The on time is prior to the plant needing it, not right. when it. I, at time, by the way, and this is a big one, and then we'll get to, I got a soils question for Swanson, and then I got an at time. So let's go ahead and do the at time with Chad, and we'll get to soils with uh, Mr. Swanson. Hey, Chad, at time. And you're, you're, you're all about, you know, you're very, you, you do stuff when you said, uh, when I was at your farm, Hey, the guy down the road, if he just wants to have an average yield, he can just let the co-op go out and treat the stuff, but I want to get a maximum yield. Um, you're the send it guy. <laughs> you and Temple are the send it twins. You're all about, if there's another treatment that'll get me four more bushels by golly, and I can show up, I'm a pencil out of payoff. I'm going to do it. Does this, Farming a piece of ground that you might only have for another year kind of run counter to being the send it guy because you're all about another treatment, man. Let's do this right. Let's go ahead and get for a maximum yield. And then this place that might end up becoming a strip center that's not going to be your farm tomorrow. You don't know if you want to do that. So do you have two different mindsets? One's send it and one is let's hold back. No, I mean, not really. They really go hand in hand. So, you know, um, because then you have to understand it's just like Kevin come back what what Kevin was talking about you know first of all you've got to understand your soil so you've got three of us on here me and Kevin are pretty close but Matt is from what I know is completely different on where his soil's at so every bit of this is understanding that what your soil will hold and then understanding how long it takes to get it into the plant so when you understand those two things then all that does is move your timeline up because all this is about a timeline. It ain't about like, oh, well, I'm going to get it on when I, whenever it gets back to it and I'll circle back around. No, you can't do that. So when you're doing what we're talking about and you're cutting that dry fertilizer down to 25% or, or something like that, you know, uh, then you have to be more, more timely than what you would have been. Because then we're treating for each product, you know, um, and, and that's when it, that's when it starts, starts, starts getting real. You, you have to start paying attention to your P's and your Q's, which, which, you know, first of all, we got to talk about, you know, and, and it's hard to line, but first thing is pH first. Okay. And then, then that's going to open another whole door, but your when your pH is right, then it, your nutrients are available. I, I rented a farm a couple years ago, man, the fertility was great on it. The pH was off like 20%. That's why the fertility was great because the pH, pH was so far off that everything just sit right there which was good for me because all we did fix the pH and opened up the fertility that the other man had put out. So pH is number one. When you understand pH and you understand where you, for what crop, what your pH number is, then you're just opening those doors up. So you're going to have to figure out in a way of calcium or some kind of lime, you've got to make sure your pH stays right first and then understand it. And then you can take off, you can do whatever you want to do because you're going to open up the fertility. Hey, so I just was thinking there um, about the send it, and I just like to talk about you and Tim being the send it twins, but almost if, if you don't have the bank, let's just say, because the bank would be going out and flinging a bunch of dry fertilizer out there. Maybe you do have to be more about send it at the critical time is what you're kind of telling me, because now I don't have this bank. 
That's right. And, and you know, too, everything I do is off of a budget. Okay. So I understand even in my contest stuff, I have a budget goal. Now it might surpass it, but I have a budget goal in mind. So everything on each piece of farm ground is off of a budget. So if I have, again, just that hundred acre, hundred dollar, whatever budget, I'm going to set aside this much for dry, this much, but I'm going to spend that hundred, you know, so I just got to figure out where I'm going to put everything in the middle of that. Now, and if it, if I know I'm not going to have it, that dry is going all the way to zero. Yeah. And then I might can do it on 50 because I was just going to spend 50 on it anyway. Yeah. So, so dry, if, if dry, if dry goes all the way to zero, because you think I might only have this in a couple of years, then you can reapportion that budget to what wide drops or, yep. or something like yep. that. That's right. I may make another wide drop pass, you know, according to what the weather is, but the farm he's talking about guys, when this first started, the farm he's talking about, we had, we put five crops on it. Didn't put any, this is five crops in three years. Didn't put any fer dry fertilizer out. We really honed in on the lime and even went out there and spread a little bit of lime in just small areas, the small amounts of lime and, and really honed in on it. And when we honed in on it, the last year we made 175 bushel corn. I had $175 inputs in, it. <laughs> you know, and that's when you, that's when you feel like, you know what, I've accomplished something. Yeah, I, just, I think we'd take that return all day long. Um, Soils, all this thing about mining. First off, is it real? Every coffee shop talk I've heard for the last been up since I was a kid. Well, yeah, that guy's out there bidding up cash rent, but he won't spend nothing on fertilizer. He's just gonna mine that ground, and then that old widow is gonna have a depleted farm. I've been hearing this for a long time. Is it? Is it really happen? <laughs> so it does happen, um, and in our soils, it takes a while for that to happen. Um, and you can, if the guy is doing a good job of managing other things, like Chad's talking about pH, like, uh, you know, managing how much carbon he has in the soil, depending on the nutrient and how much you're actually getting to release from the parent material in our you know, situation, which Chad would be a little bit different, but it's the same concept. Um, you, you can actually, you can 100% not spread any dry and have levels improve where I'm from anyway, if you're doing a good job managing the other things. Um, but it definitely does happen. Okay, so mining mining of the soil does happen. You've seen it. And then it takes a long time if you've got a richer soil to do that. Obviously, if you're in if you're in the prairie of Champaign, Illinois, you can go out there and coast for a while. Whereas where these guys are, the soil's a little lighter, et cetera. Um, when you look at a soil map, because you, you do that, how can you tell other than okay, things seem low? What what, what tell me tell me what you look at. Well, I mean, like Chad's talking about, the first thing, if we've got a good map is you're going to look and see what soil types are, right? I mean, you have a handful of soil types that are going to be your flat and black stuff that are going to be very productive and have a lot of residual nutrition, if that's what you want to call it. Okay. Um, and then you're going to have a handful that are going to be either eroded or, or something like erosion, or they're just not as rich to start with. They were a, a timber soil in the past um, that are not going to be as naturally fertile. And it's also going to give you a clue about how deep it is. You know, if, if we have a certain soil type, usually that dark black soil is five to six feet deep if it hasn't been heavily worked or it's eroded. So you have a huge supply of nutrition there. And we're only pulling, yeah. you know, you're only pulling the soil sample at most 24 inches. Yeah. Uh, most guys are six yeah. to eight. So yeah you're missing all of that nutrition down there. And that's when you say guys build soils over time without dry fertility, what they're doing is they're getting roots down deep enough, especially with tile drainage to pull nutrients from down low 
and then depositing them back on top with the residue. So that's, that's how that happened. Um, but that's kind of what we're looking at. And then you go to pH, like Chad says, and then you look at the fertility after that. Hey, on this whole thing, because the person that's listening to this says, all right, I get it. You guys are doing this the right way, et cetera. Um, what's the big thing that uh, they need to know? What's the concern? What, what can you get wrong? Like Chad or Kevin, for sure. When did you, do you have an example of, we thought we we're only going to have it for a year or two. So we changed our methods and this happened, or we learned that. So give me some examples where you got something right or got something wrong. Sounds like you got something right, Chad, on um, on getting five crops in two years or three years um, and, and didn't lose any yield. Okay, so I'll go first with that. Um, with, and it'll be real quick, I hope. But um, so the things you do, the things you can do wrong is think that it's a one size fits all. That's the first thing you can do wrong is oh, you got three guys on here and I promise you, and it's, it's definitely, it's, it's, it's a farm by farm basis. And even deeper than that, it's like Matt said, it's a field by field basis. It's a, it's a soil type by soil type basis. And on some of it, I mean, you can't go out there and I'm going to do this on this soil type. I'm going to do that. But you have to take those averages like he was talking about and figure out what that is and play by those averages. So thinking that I'm going to just go do this and I've got a dry program, you know, a no fertility. How about this? Let's call it a no fertility program. I got a no fertility program that I'm going to feed the plant. And what I like to say is I put it on a liquid diet. That's what I like to say all the time. I'm going to put this farm on a liquid diet. You know, this man says, hey, I'm going to rent this farm to somebody. I just want somebody to rent it one year. Because what we ain't talked about here is in our area, if a farm, if somebody buys it and then it comes off of current use taxes to taxes for building, it's about 20% difference. So oh, now, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Talk about that. You know, yeah. they, they like, look, just do something with it. Plant weed on it. Do something because to keep it in current use because they're wearing my butt out in taxes. Yeah, by so, the way, what but there might be somebody listening It's like, wait, wait, what he just described. It's kind of a zoning issue, really. It's tax, it's a tax, the tax base as agricultural land versus tax base as commercial development is going to kill the investor or owner uh financially. So the point you're making is they maybe don't care as much about return from you renting it. They just say make it a field. So until the bulldozers roll, I don't have to pay these taxes, right? Yes. Yes, that's right. And so then it's like Kevin was talking about, then you're working around their stops. Then you're being courteous to their entrances. Hey, you're laying off of this right here. You're keeping it, you know, you would maintain it the same way as you was a productive farm, like like Matt would or you where you live at to where you're going to keep it in the farm, but you just maintain it in a different way. So, you know, we've learned in our areas to work around these things because I still need to farm for a living. And tell you the truth, sometimes it's some of the best money we've made because, again, this is not about making bushels. It's about making money. We got to make a crop, you know, we'll get to the next crop. And but that's one of the things you do is think that don't don't think as a farmer. Let's just do this. Don't think as a farmer because they're going to develop it in three years, I'm not going to farm that piece anymore. It's just not worth it. No, no, no. Change your mindset, put it on a liquid diet and let's talk through it and let's work through it. And let's let you keep farming and making money because like Kevin happened to him and like happened to me, they think they're going to develop it. That don't always happen. It, it just don't always happen until the bulldozers roll in. And I got farms. I work around the bulldozers. I'm just, you know, they don't, they're not going to develop 600 acres at one time, you know, uh, but yeah, by the way, that's another good point. First off, liquid diet. Secondly, you could still maintain fertility. Thirdly, you're not being a bad guy. Fourthly, the the owner that you're working with might just 
might even take a little bit of a deduct on what you're paying them because you say, because you're saving all that massive amounts of taxes that they'd be paying yeah. if it was zoned as commercial development. Okay, Kevin, you're shaking your head. What do you got? And one more thing before Kevin takes off. Sorry, but but Kevin talked too about, you know, about ADM and let's about the fact of having to keep something on the land. If not, they got to sew it down. Yep. That's, if, that's if right. Not, they got to what? Erosion control. It has to have something growing on it. Or if it's a de if it's development property. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, if it goes from agriculture, it's going to go to development, whether it's residential or commercial. And, uh, you know, if it goes commercial, buddy, they got to have something growing on it. It cannot, I mean, even, you know, I got a friend that's real big in the seeding business and his biggest year, his biggest time of year is December. And they shut these jobs down till March and they pay them to seed the whole job and then come in in March and they kill it and start all over again. Because they can't leave it idle. If they're not working, it's got to be sowed for erosion control. But the as far as mistakes that that I've made with it, the biggest mistake I've made, I'm as guilty as any, and I see a lot of neighbors do it. I mean, I know some doing it to the, right now today. Is um, we'll back off on not putting lime on some of this land, and I used to think it was the right thing. I got a farm over in the, in the city limits of Winston Salem, and um, very high dollar ground. Uh, just like what Chad has there in Huntsville, um, you, you, you just can't imagine. I mean, some of it's self for the square foot. But um, we held up on putting lime on it, and it, it's been a mistake. It's cost me money, Damien. I mean, I'd have been way, you know, as far as going out and putting a bunch of P and K out, trying to build the soil phosphorus levels and potassium levels, that would be stupid to do uh, when you know it's going in development. But you got to manage that P and K, I mean, that pH, so that you can have that P and K available and all those micronutrients available. And uh, that's something that Chad talked about earlier. It's really important. We're going to have some cost associated in that, but I, that right there will make you money. It will make you money every time. I think you it's got to maintain your, your line. I think it's funny because uh, one of the first things when I bought my first chunk of farm ground, then the deal was, okay, here's the rent or here's the deal. Uh, here's the arrangement between you and your tenant, but who pays for the lime? And, you know, okay, well, that's a five-year thing. Now, if I'm going to be paying for lime, I want to know I'm farming it five years from now. And you guys have both just said, it might also be a one or two-year thing because uh, thinking that you're not going to get the value out of the lime, Chad said he put out lime in small dabs and still it made all the nutrients more available. So the whole lime thing is critical, whether it's five or 10 years down the road. Very much. And that's one of the biggest things that I see is, you know, Number one, lots of times the wrong lime source is used. And we don't want that can be a whole source for another podcast. We don't want to get into that. But the, a good rule of thumb, your closest lime source is usually the wrong lime source. That's the best rule of thumb I got for you. What'd you just say? I'm writing this down for a, a topic. The, the closest Thanks. lime source is normally the wrong lime source. Thanks. I see it, ain't it, Chad? And I am 100% guilty because I'm trying to spread lime, plant wheat, finish getting the crop out and I'm hundred percent guilty most of the time and I'm trying to figure out how to fix it with other stuff. If we, but you just can't, the way trucking is you can't get it trucked 150 miles and that's the one I need. You know? yeah, we, we're doing it. I mean, we're, <laughs> we've learned it just takes so much less because we're using the right line. I mean, it, it's just, it, it works. <laughs> you know what's interesting? Is Beach, South Carolina, all the way to here. I mean, Wake Stone down there, a true calcitic lime, 
basically seashells crushed up, I guess. I want to calcium. I want to go to Swazis for a question, but I got to tell you, listeners, if you're with us, first off, I think this is going to be the one, best listen, one of the best listened to podcasts that we were going to put out in 2023. And I really do, because this is a topic that everybody can relate to, whether it's competitive cash rent, like Swanson and I are talking about, uh, Huntsville Airport expanding, like Chad's talking about, or all the Yankees moving to North Carolina in the Yadkin River Valley, like Kevin's talking about. Everybody has this issue in some fashion. So I love it. But you know what, listeners, if you want to say, what's Damien chuckling about? Every time the boys say something in passing that it, my ears perk up, I'm like, wait a minute. There's another podcast episode. I just wrote down, are you using the right lime? And then I wrote down the closest lime source is probably the wrong lime source. We will be covering this in 2023. I promise you, because I just got it written down right there. Hey, um, Matt, does this boat, does this, does this, is this an illustration? Kelly Garrett said once, he said, I think we're going to find out down the road that we've got more than enough fertility in most cases in the traditional sense, meaning we've been flinging in P and K out there because that's what we knew how to do. And we're going to find out as we get better at this stuff like extreme ag that we've been doing too much of it. Is that kind of what we're hearing here? That flinging, flinging dry fertilizer all over the place has been what we did because it's what we knew how to do, but it really is almost like that's never been our limiting factor with what Chad and Kevin are talking about. I think in, in for soils like Kevin and I, or Kevin, Kelly and I have, especially that that's a hundred percent true. I think there's definitely a, some money to be made in, in just shifting dollars, uh, total fertility budget, including lime, um, especially on soils like we have. The other thing I was thinking about while they were talking, um, Damien, is, that, is a lot of this putting it on a liquid diet, all these things. Not only does it apply in these situations, but it also applies kind of in the reverse of these situations, right? So if you have a farm that's badly depleted for whatever reason, you're going to have to do a lot of the same things we're talking about to make sure you're making money in the short term so you can afford to build it up in the long term. So it does, this kind of works both ways in that, you know, if we have a farm, let's say I can think of one right now where we've got six parts per million of phosphorus, okay, on that farm you're not going to be able to put enough dry out there to make that profitable for a few years. You're going to have to shift that to a liquid phosphorus, highly available phosphorus source to get through, you know, two or three years. Okay. You're, you're basically saying there's, there's some situations where, you know, cause there's the other one that a lot of people aren't thinking about. The place has been so possibly going to get developed for the last decade that finally there was a change of ownership, whatever. And they come to Chad and say, we just need it to be classified as ag ground. He hasn't even been the operator. He gets a hold of it. He's like, yeah, I'll do it. Jesus, this thing has no fertility to it. So in other words, it's not even been him that's farming it. It's just that he's the replacement guy until Walmart gets built, right? And then you're looking at it, Matt, and saying, holy crap, there's nothing been put on this for 15 years. Is that kind of what we're talking about? And yeah, then, I mean, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, and if you went out and fling dry, if you went out and flinged out dry out there, it wouldn't even matter. That it wouldn't, especially here. Um, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have enough time. You could fling, you could fling it out there. And it's like you've got so much catching up to do. So then it becomes you've got to really do the liquid diet. You've got to manage the plants for the plants and and spend extra money when you can working on the soil. If it, you know if you're going to buy it or something like that. By the way, Chad, if you had one of those, I just thought of that where you got a hold of something that's because we've we've seen that. Oh, that's going to get turned into housing for the last. 15 years somebody was out there just absolutely depleting it and then they say well it's not housing yet you want to farm for the next three years and you're like 
This is a turd. Yeah, it's the farm my daddy worked. <laughs> I promise that's a disclaimer. Please don't put this out where he can hear it. <laughs> the, good thing so, you probably, the good thing is your dad probably didn't listen to our stuff. So, you know, no, that's that was a joke. I promise you that was a joke. But uh, you remember that, you know, uh, the people before us come through the 80s, okay? You know, it was farmers that just, you know, the ones of us that are farming, like I've been blessed to have a, have that, have that, I like to call it a crutch. You know, because my dad didn't made it. I didn't have to start this thing. So I have a crutch I can do. I can be the syndic guy because of what they built. And that's why I am the syndic guy, because they built this thing for me to be able to do that. Yeah. So let's get that disclaimer out of the way. Now, next part, Matt is 100% correct. You know, we talk about this all the time about being triggers. You know, we use this liquid to be a trigger. If Matt has one at six parts phosphorus, he'll be broke before he ever gets phosphorus in the plant. I mean, it's it's we, we can't do it. So... You have to get that happy medium of, hey, I can treat this much dry fertilizer and then I'm going to treat this much liquid because there ain't no way to keep and and a hundred percent good point from him that this is the other way around. I had one farm five years ago. I was going to prove a point and that you could not buy a 400 bushel blend because I paid for it. Like there's one spot in the field that we spread like 1400 pounds of fertilizer to the acre. And this is ground that we farm, but we're trying to prove a point. And do you know that we have, that was, they said, oh, well, next year it's going to be amazing. Well, next year it's going to be amazing. Well, that was four years ago, and I still can't find it on tissues on a soil sample. That's the point we're trying to make. It's blowing all this. If you could buy a 400 bushel blend, everybody buy it. They'd run in their co-op. They'd buy it. We'd all spread it. We'd all be making corn. Life would be great. You can't buy this stuff we're talking about. So I, you, I, just, I, you, I, you put out fertilizer, and then you wonder what's hindered in your soils, Matt's soils, Kevin's soils. And then you start trickling along to make it a trigger to pick up the nutrients it needs. I got to say, Kevin, uh, I think it was you and Swanson that came up with this topic. And I'm telling you, it's already my favorite episode of 2023. I'm digging this. It's the first one we recorded, granted, but it's my favorite. So anyway, um, I dig this. I think it's, I mean, I'm getting real illustrative here in my head. It's kind of like the kid that's been malnourished for like 15 years and then sitting down at a plate and trying to give him an entire smorgasbord of good nutrition. It's like, that's a nice gesture, but you've got 15 years of, of making up to do. And so you can't do it. And then uh, that's kind of what you're talking about. You can't dry fertilize fast enough to make up for 15 years of depletion was what Matt and Chatter saying. But I want to point out this, Kevin, and then we're going to close out with your story about that property. Um, isn't that the cool thing about the companies we're working with, with all these things and then putting it in furrow and two by two and all that, you can actually get a crop off of that poor malnutrition soil that hasn't been taken care of for 15 years better than you ever could have. Because again, in the old, if the old way of fixing it was fling more dry fertilizer, chatter proved it don't work. Don't we have a better tools in our arsenal now than we ever have to get some plant and some productivity and some profit out of a depleted soil? Yeah, I mean, there's no question. And, you know, there's so many, and it's not just buying, you know, a, a nutritional product as much as these biologicals and humics, fulvics, uh, some synthetics that are made that are actually releasing uh, nutrients that we have in the soil. So there's all kinds of different options out there. Uh, the you know, the ability to break down the stover that we've had now. There's so many tools there that we didn't have before. 
were, you know, some of them I question, you know, the extract, you know, that's, that's a good product, but I did the test last year, putting it in the knife and it in the ground and, and it didn't perform near as well as it did spraying it across the top. So, you know, we're learning That's part of extreme ag. We got so many multiple tests going on to learn this and that it makes it a lot of fun. So, you know, the ground that we bought down there, that it was pitiful. You know, it was about a, it was about a point four organic matter was about what was left on it. And uh, the calcium to mag ratio on it was just absolutely terrible. It's pretty much just clay to make bricks out of. Uh, agronomist from Israel come and he was out there walking in it, drilling. And I, I ain't going to say on the podcast what he asked, but other than what is it? And, but he had to put some adjectives in there because uh, he was very disappointed he had flew from Israel all the way to this cornfield and he thought he was going to see this beautiful soils that he had read about in the Midwest and it was a uh, clay that way, if it, Kevin if do it, Israeli swear words do Israeli swear words translate to English pretty easily uh, he was speaking in English so I could understand he wanted <laughs> me to know what he he had just spent 20 hours in flight getting here so he was uh he, he definitely was disappointed with me but when he seen the yields he was even then he didn't know what to do. He was trying to figure things out. But with our Netafilm drip irrigation on that farm, we kept something growing on it continuously, whether it was corn, soybeans, barley, wheat, cover crops. I mean, it, it's never, it's not went a month without something growing on it. So we've had that farm uh, 10 plus years now. Our organic matter now is over 3%. Our calcium to mag ratio is now eight, is about an eight to one. Um, our irrigation water, when we first started, it is all we could do to get our lateral lines on 48 centers to meet in the middle. You'd almost see the soybeans favor the drip tape. Uh, now you don't see any of that. Uh, before we would have to run four or five hours on the zone. Now we're running two hours on the zone. Um, peak time, real dry weather, we might go to three. Um, the flocculation in the soil from all the, all the dead roots and that has decayed, you got capillaries everywhere in that soil profile now. So you can take crappy ground and make good ground out of it if you got the right program. It takes the right, it takes water at the right time. I mean, if you're in a drought, I mean, Chad and I are, the biggest limiting factor that Chad and I have is when it quits raining, we're 12 days away from a drought. Yeah. That's our biggest problem. <clears throat> so the irrigation makes up for that. But then how do you change them heavy clay soils that we got? And the no-till is phenomenal. These big grass crops with these fibrous root systems in them, huge deal. And, you know, getting that calcium to mag ratio correct. Awesome. You know, we was actually... We was like one part casting, three parts mag to start with. That is bad. That is bad. I mean, that is, you don't, you can't take, Damien, you couldn't take a 16 penny nail and push it in the ground unless it was just raining. The rest of the time you had to have a hammer to drive it in the ground. 
<clears throat> and now you can just go out there and just push it right in. By the way, I've been on that property. It was my first trip to North Carolina to Kevin's. Not, not my first trip to North Carolina, my first trip to Kevin's. And uh, we got rained out while we we're shooting videos. And we went and stood in an irrigation shed. And then he started telling me there's probably cotton mouse in this uh, in this thing right behind me. And I, I, I went and stood in the rain because I'm terrified of snakes. Hey, real quick. There was a black snake in there, though. Real quickly, I'm terrified of all snakes. Hey, um. You said it took how long until you think you started really seeing progress? Four years, five years? Uh, actually, when we got once, you know, we the irrigation was the key. Um, then we really started focusing on uh, our gypsum and yep. then our poultry litter. And then when we got a really good calcitic lime source, we switched from the gypsum to the calcitic lime. And also that layer litter is high in calcium as well. It, it really turned around about uh, three years into it when we started seeing stuff. And then by the fifth year is when we really noticed uh, not needing as much water when we irrigated and our organic matter. We was in that 2.3 range then, which was pretty impressive to go from a sub, sub one to that. Then mm -hmm. uh, now we're at you know, over three. And the cool thing about it is our insurance APH on that farm is over 100 bushels on soybeans and over 300 bushels on corn. That's pretty impressive. That's a great story about taking what was kind of a turd that you almost that you that you you're mad you didn't get bought and you bought it for a thousand dollars cheaper. I'm, that's a great story. You know what? I no, like no, it. I wasn't mad. I didn't get it bought. Um, I was actually glad I didn't have to figure out where I was going to get the money to pay for it with. <laughs> but I was disappointed that I didn't get it bought. All right, wasn't mad, just disappointed. I know we're getting I know we're getting long here, but it's a great subject. Chad, I want to go to one. Um, I observed this the first time I was at your property, and this is a, a compliment to you that I probably should have given a long time ago i think that farming in the path of progress and i and, and i know that that's what it's always termed as not that not that the four of us necessarily think a bunch of walmarts uh uh are, are progress but the point is you're farming right there on the edge of town you could have picked up stakes and said screw this i want to go and farm where there's real farming to be done but i think it's made you better because i think it's made you really really dial in like hey if I only have this for another two years, but I can make a bunch of money still, and it's not just by going out and raping it, it's by actually just managing it. Has it made you better? Well, you know, I think so. You know, I, I you know, I get to tour around with Extreme Ag, you know, and we get to talk to other farmers and and we always learn more. I feel like I always learn more from the farmers that I get to talk to than I get than I feel like I can give to them, you know. Um, they're in good souls, you know, like Matt, you know, and and and, and you know, I say this. You know, you hear me joke about I states all the time, especially with you, Damon, you know, but everybody has their own problem. You know, just because you got real good souls don't mean that 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 life's grand. I mean, here you are talking about four and five hundred dollar acre rent, you know. Yeah, I mean, what what am I supposed to do with that? So we all have our own problems, you know. It's just all about making a living and getting through it. And each thing dials the scene to be more. If you have $500 acre rent, I promise you, your budgeting skills are way more dialed in than mine is. So we all, we all adapt as farmers, you know, and, yep. and we're all efficient in every way we can be because of what we've been put in and put out of and the situations that we've got ourselves into or been dropped into. So well, I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think we're better at honing in on the soils because of we've learned over the years, we have learned our, Ours as well. It took us anywhere from 10 to 15 years to come from a less than 1% organic matter up to a 2.8 to 3.5 organic matter. And we've done that with incorporating all this fodder 
back into the soil, you know. So we've learned a lot and, and we've got better at farming, you know, as the whole country has. And so, you know, it's yeah, just, just but but my point about managing fertility for the short term, I think it's gotten you better about really uh the precision part of hey this might be a housing development in two years but i still got it for the next for the next two years i'm gonna make as much money as i can off of this and i'm not gonna rape it i'm gonna treat it i mean well that, you're 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 really about putting that fertility yeah, well that, exactly what it's doing. And, and you know that has taught me that's taught me on our you know our contest stuff as we call it contest you know or irrigated farms or good farms that we've owned it's taught me so much about plate plant like matt was talking about earlier feeding the plant it's taught us how to feed the plant when we go with these liquid diets. So, you know, don't think that that it's all bad because like you said, Damien, it has taught you a lot. All right, close us out here. Matt Swanson, managing fertility for the short term. What did we not cover that you think we need to on the way out the door? Well, I, I mean, I'd say again, just I, I don't know that we didn't cover anything. I think the big points are is you got to manage your pH uh, because that makes what's there more available. Um, you need to make sure you got good water, whether for me, that's water infiltration or for uh, Kevin, maybe that's an irrigation situation or, or something else. And then one other thing that, that Chad talked about that, that hit me while he was talking was, you know, he talked about going out and just, you can't put enough money into it or, or you can't spread enough dry. And I can tell you that in situations where we tried it, something similar to what Chad has done, you know, with potash specifically, we've gone out twice and done, you know, five to 600 pounds of potash to try to either bring levels up or makes or make nutrients more available. And what we've actually found via soil testing is it's brought our nutrient availability down in, in potassium specifically. So it, like anything, it, it's a, it's a system. And anytime you get crazy with one thing or another, it, it generally is not a good thing. <laughs> Fact. Fact, but what you just said is you're saying by overdrive, by by just doing that thing, sending sending the train sending the train load of dry fertilizer out there, thinking you're going to fix something fast, it didn't work. Uh, no, it actually went backwards. It actually did. Yeah, it did. It did yeah, so our, our soil test levels, our standard soil test levels got higher. Our potassium availability for the crop went down. So so anything we do, whether it's dry or liquid, we we've jumped to offices, jumped on the dry fertilizer wagon here pretty heavy in this podcast. But whatever you do, dry or liquid, is still about salt index. So just remember that. And that's what that's what drove it down. Is what Matt will talk to you about. You know, is is everything we do is about salt index in that zone. And your salt index, you can handle more if your soil's thicker, or you can handle less if your soil's thinner. So understanding where you're at in your farm in your field with a salt index that you're going to apply at one particular time is key that's where we're going to leave it right there that's all amazingly good stuff because managing fertility for the short term doesn't mean you're out there raping the ground it means that you're you're going to just do what you can to make the maximum profit off of your plants and and i think that uh, kevin said it best you got to get to where you realize we're not farming acres we're farming plants we're, we're that's what we're out here doing and we're getting better about that but it does obviously have the soil component to it matt swanson western illinois kevin matthews and chad henderson two of the founding members of extreme mag you're going to be seeing a lot of us in 2023 so thanks for being here share this with somebody that can benefit from it thanks for being a listener and a viewer the next time i'm damian mason cutting the curve thanks for listening to another edition of cutting the curve for more information that you can apply to your farm operation visit extremeag.farm are your crops stressed out ag explorer has you covered with a full line of products to help protect your crop from environmental stressors such as cold and wet or heat and drought check out agexplorer.com and start protecting your yields and profits